Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, July 19th, we're studying Jeremiah chapter 36, verses 1 to 32. During the reign of King Jehoiakim, the Lord commands Jeremiah to write down the words he has been preaching in the hopes that the house of Judah may yet turn from their evil. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Sean Kilgo. Pastor Kilgo serves at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. Pastor Kilgo, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Yeah, it's good to be back. Pastor Kilgo, today's text tells us in the very first verse that we are in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. We'll find out a little bit later that some of this is going to take place the next year as well, the ninth month of his fifth year. Just in terms of that setting, we, we've talked about Jeremiah before, you and I have, so we've, we've laid a lot of the broad context. What should we know about this particular time in Israel or Judah's history as we get started this morning? Yeah, so the, the main thing is like where, I mean, this is setting it in a particular time period. Um, and so when, when Jeremiah starts prophesying, uh, it's in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah. You have that at the beginning of the book, uh, and that's approximately 629. And so when this is showing up in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, uh, this is in about 606, right? So this is uh, 23-ish years into the uh, the ministry, the, the preaching and prophesying of, of Jeremiah. So that's kind of where we're at. Um, and then he'll obviously go for a while after this as well. All right. So so Jeremiah's been preaching for quite some time, and that, that is, gives some important context because of this initial command that the Lord gives. So let's read the first couple of verses of our chapter, Jeremiah chapter 36, this morning. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Take a scroll and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel and Judah and all the nations from the day I spoke to you, from the days of Josiah until today. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the disaster that I intend to do to them so that everyone may turn from his evil way and that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. That's the first three verses of Jeremiah chapter 36. Pastor Kilgo, we hear a command to Jeremiah specifically now. He's been preaching for quite some time, as you said, and now he's told, write all of it down. Why does the Lord want Jeremiah to write all of this down suddenly? Well, the, the immediate answer is in the text, right? Um, what we have at the very end. Um it may be that the house of Judah will hear all the disaster that I intend to do to them so that everyone may turn from his evil way and that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. That, that this is why the Lord wants this written down. But it's an interesting thing. We don't, we don't think about this, that up until this time, uh, Jeremiah has been uh, just preaching these things, right? He, he receives this word from God and he goes out and he preaches to whoever he sends him. Uh, it's interesting, you know, it, it reminds us that uh, he speaks not only to Israel and Judah, but to all the nations, right? That 
that this word of God is not just for the people of Israel, but for everybody um, to to turn from their evil ways and to live, uh, to to stand forgiven and not in a condemnation. And um, so all the things that have come before this, the previous 35 chapters of Jeremiah, were not written down yet. And so what he's going to write down, or, or as we're, we'll see, have Baruch write down, uh, this is the first time that they're written down. They, they weren't there yet. And so he's, this is part of the reason why it's going to take a little bit of time in between the command of this and actually being read before the king that you've got uh, about 23 years worth of preaching that's going to be written down, right? So, so that's, uh, and, and the reason why it needs to be written down is, I think, twofold. One, so that many people can can receive it, right? You can take it different places. But also, th- this has been going on over 23 years, which means that it's been a little bit disconnected. So you can think about, like, if if you think about your pastor's preaching for the last 20 years, right? And you try and recall, like, all the things that he said over the last 20 years, it's going to be kind of hard. But if he wrote all of it down and gave it to you in, like, a, a book, right, you could sit down and you could read through all of it. Right. And that's kind of what's happening with Jeremiah is everything that he's been saying is compiled into a single location now. And you can hear all of it in one shot. Right. And, and that's an interesting thing. Right. Is that what we'll see is that they're going to go and they're going to read this and they're going to read the whole thing. So Jeremiah one through thirty five essentially are going to be read out loud as a single unit. Right. And and as the hearers have, have heard, like that's. It's not the most pleasant things to hear all the time, right? Jer- Jeremiah is pretty, pretty rough in some areas, um, or I should say, the, the Lord through Jeremiah is, is pretty rough, and it's you, you can imagine, like for your average person, like this is going to cut them pretty deep to the heart, and that's the, the the desire of God, right? Is is to bring bring them to repentance, show them how serious their sin actually is, and why He's threatening to do all these things. Who had already the the threat of the deportation and the the destruction of uh, Jerusalem and and all this sort of stuff the destruction of the temple so um you know why is the lord making such such great threats because he wants them to be forgiven he doesn't want them to live under their sin and that's that's the the end of this that's the ultimate goal and not only here but like of all scripture the ultimate goal of all scripture is to bring us to uh, to a knowledge of our sins so that we would uh, repent that we would turn from those sins and that uh, we would live under the Lord's mercy and forgiveness. That, 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 that's why it's there. Sure. And I think that that answer that comes straight from the text is certainly a very important one, that the Lord provides for his word to be written down for the same reason that he provided for his word to be preached by Jeremiah in the first place, that there would be repentance. You know, verse three, it may be that they'll hear, they'll turn from their evil, and the Lord will forgive. So the preaching of God's word by the prophet orally is for the same reason as the writing of God's word now. And as you, you've pointed out, this is going to be not the word of Jeremiah that's written, but the word of the Lord that Jeremiah will write down, again, through his scribe Baruch, as we will find out. A couple of, of other things, Pastor Kelgo, you know, there have been a couple other references to the writing in the book of Jeremiah already. Back in chapter 25, which also takes place in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, just back in, in 25, thir- yeah, 13, it does reference everything written in this book. And also in, in chapter 30, and I had to do some searching while you were talking, in chapter 30, at the beginning of what's called the Book of Comfort, 
there is a, a mention of the Lord telling Jeremiah to write in a book all the words that he's spoken. So, mm-hmm. so again, and, and where chapter 30 happens historically, maybe a little bit later than what we're talking right. about here today, 606, 605 BC, that, that time period in chapter 36. Interestingly, I, I think that some of the things that are, in, are recorded in Jeremiah 1 through 35 might not have been written in this particular scroll, because some of what we've read has already, say, occurred in the reign of King Zedekiah. Right, right. Yeah, and, and Jeremiah is a little bit tough with this, right, because it's not right. chronological. Um, right. But it's that, you know, regardless of like what's there, like it is this you know, sure. 23 years of preaching that's written down. And and that's the that's the content. Now, what will be we'll get this at the end of the text, too, that they'll they'll write this down. They'll add other things to it. And that becomes the entirety of the book of Jeremiah. Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I mean, I think that's that's just an interesting thing to see within this text, uh, particularly as we see what's going to happen to this first scroll, but how apparently throughout Jeremiah's ministry, the Lord is telling him to write these things down at various times. Mm-hmm. And and Jeremiah does that. And and it is then to go beyond what, what we're seeing here in these first three verses, then, as, as you said, this is an opportunity for more people beyond just those who are gathered there in Jerusalem and Judah who've heard Jeremiah's sermons, there's going to be more opportunity for people to hear the word of the Lord through this writing of it. And we know, for example, that Daniel, the prophet Daniel, read the book of Jeremiah in exile in Babylon. And so, I mean, you know, again, just thinking historically for a moment, the Lord has told his people, you're going to be exiled in Babylon it certainly makes a lot of sense that he would provide for the word to be written down so that when they're there in exile and Jeremiah isn't there with them, they're going to have that word for them to read and so that then they would repent and believe. Right. Well, and the great thing is like, you know, it extends, you know, even beyond that. We are sitting here uh, 2,600 years after this, th- these events, still reading it, right? Which is which is pretty incredible uh, how the Lord, d- to just stop and think about how the Lord is so faithful to preserving his word, right? Which is going to be one of the themes we'll see in this, but, but that's just, just in general, the Lord is going to make sure that his word is preserved throughout the ages so that it gets to our ears, hmm. right? Because that, that's, that's what it's there for. It's not there to, you know, collect dust in some sort of library or something like that. It's, it's there to actually be preached and read and heard. Yeah, I think that the faithfulness of the Lord in preserving his word is definitely one of the themes that we're going to see in this text, particularly what happens to this scroll, as we will see. So let's go a little bit farther in the text. We're picking up again at verse 4 now. Then Jeremiah called Baruch the son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote on a scroll at the dictation of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord that he had spoken to him. And Jeremiah ordered Baruch, saying, I am banned from going to the house of the Lord, so you are to go. And on a day of fasting in the hearing of all the people in the Lord's house, you shall read the words of the Lord from the scroll that you have written at my dictation. You shall read them also in the hearing of all the men of Judah who come out of their cities. It may be that their plea for mercy will come before the Lord, and that everyone will turn from his evil way. For great is the anger and wrath that the Lord has pronounced against this people. And Baruch, the son of Neriah, did all that Jeremiah the prophet ordered him about reading from the scroll the words of the Lord in the Lord's house. In the fifth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, in the ninth month, 
All the people in Jerusalem and all the people who came from the cities of Judah to Jerusalem proclaimed a fast before the Lord. Then in the hearing of all the people, Baruch read the words of Jeremiah from the scroll in the house of the Lord, in the chamber of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, the secretary, which was in the upper court at the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house. That is through verse 10 of our text. So, Pastor Kilgore, let's talk a little bit about the process here. Jeremiah has been told by the Lord, write this down. And so Jeremiah dictates to Baruch, and Baruch actually does the writing of the scroll. Right, which uh, sometimes this throws us a little bit uh, for some reason. It seems like pastors talk about this a whole lot, so I'm not sure why this surprises us anymore. But this was just very, very common in the ancient world. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, Paul's got... um, scribes, right, that he uses. Um, he, like, this is why, uh, I forget which epistle it is, but he, but he says, I write this with my own hand. Is this Philippians, I believe? Um, I think it's, I know he does it in Galatians because he does the large letters. Yeah, I, I write yeah. this in very large letters, right? Which is, um, but so normally you've got a scribe and there's a few reasons for this. One, the literacy is just not there for most people. Most people cannot read and most people cannot write. But beyond that, um, papyri, or sometimes it was written on leather, or there's a variety of different things you can write on, but primarily papyri is not really easy to come by. It's expensive. Um, it's valuable. Um, it's not like today where you just, you have got a computer that you can just fill up with all sorts of uh, nonsense that you want to write down. You know, you've got to make sure that you've got, that you're using the space as best as possible. And so one of the things that scribes were trained for is that they would write everything out um, uh, very, very carefully so that they used as much of the scroll as possible, um, as, as, we should say, as efficiently as possible, uh, so that there wasn't a bunch of wasted space on these things, right? And so that's part of the reason why you're going to use a scribe. Um, you can dictate it's just a lot faster. Um, they're going to be better at writing, probably, than most of the prophets. or the, Like, we should remember, the, the apostles, the prophets, these guys are not called because of their eloquence. In fact, a lot of them will talk about how they're, you know, they're not qualified and the Lord's like, go anyway. Um, but they're also not called because, you know, they're, they're, uh, um, they're able to, to read and write really well either. You know, a lot of these guys are just kind of like regular guys that are out there. The Lord's like, Hey, you're, you're a prophet now. Um, and, uh, so, there, there's a distinct possibility that these guys themselves maybe wouldn't, I, I don't know this about Jeremiah, but the, it's not out of the realm of possibility that he would not have been able to, um, to, to read or possibly write. Right. So, I mean, that's. Sure. Right. Right. I mean, and that's, I, I think just to make the point that what Jeremiah does is not out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. And it even, I mean, it's, it strikes me that it, it fits in the line of, let's say Moses, you know, you've mentioned that matter of eloquence, that's Moses complaint before the Lord. And so what does the Lord do? He sends him Aaron to be his right. mouthpiece, which isn't all that different than from what we have here. Yeah. It's an in, oral it, scribe. That's right. I mean, so in, in Exodus, you have the Lord speaking to Moses who speaks to Aaron. Here you have the Lord speaking to Jeremiah who gives it to Baruch to write it down. I mean, it's a, and, and as you said, this is a common practice in other places as well. Paul being a prime example. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and it's actually, this is where it's, like Luke, when he comes along as a physician, the reason why it's a big deal that he's a physician is because he's actually like well educated, right? Most most of these guys are just kind of your run of the mill guys. Um, Paul Paul's you know another guy like 
Um, it's not that he's unable to do this because he is, you know, trained as a Pharisee. He he would know minimum how to read. He probably knows how to write very well also. But um, but it's one, the normal way that letters were, were written. Uh, and two, even if you can write, like you probably can't do it as well as a scribe who does it professionally, right? So it's the same sort of deal, you know, um, if you're going to go and transcribe notes for something, you find someone who does this for a living, right? It's why you have stenographers in a courtroom. They're actually trained to do this so they can capture everything efficiently. If you put, you know, you or I, I'm, I'm a decent typist, but I, if I try to sit in a courtroom and try and get everything down, like I'm going to get like three seconds into it and be like, wait, stop. And I, I need you to pause and, and go back. Right. And so the, the, the scribes are able to keep up with this stuff as well. Right. Right. So even in the process itself, we should understand the Lord being faithful to preserve his word. He gives it to Jeremiah, who gives it to his faithful scribe, Baruch, who records it correctly. This is the Lord's word that is being written down by the hand of Baruch from the mouth of Jeremiah coming from God himself. Now, you get an, an interesting detail here that that Jeremiah then tells Baruch, you need to go read this because I can't go. Right. <laughs> the, the faithful prophet has actually been banned from the temple, which given what we've heard Jeremiah preach already, I suppose shouldn't be terribly surprising. He's preached against the temple and, mm-hmm. and the way that it's being used. So he's been banned, but he says, Baruch, you go, you read it. And he tells him, make sure you do it on a day when a lot of people are going to be there on this fast day. So let's talk a little about the occasion for the the reading of Jeremiah's scroll that he gives to Baruch. Yeah. So it, it doesn't sell, it doesn't tell us either, either here or later, like what what particular fast day there is. But one of the details I ran across is sometimes um, like in December in particular, which is when the, when this ends up being read, uh, if there hadn't been rain, like in the first week or something like that, that they would declare a, a day of fasting um, in, in order to, you know, pray that the Lord would send rain. Right. Which is interesting, right? It, it's something we don't think about a whole lot. You know, when, when, when there's something that we desire the Lord to send to us, like rain, for example, if we've got like a drought going on or whatever, you know, we, we just kind of lament about it. And in the ancient world, they would be like, Hey, let's declare a fast because this is the Lord withholding his good gifts from us. And let's come together in the temple and pray and hear God's word and, and ask the Lord to be gracious to us. So that, I mean, that's what's going on regardless of, of what particular thing is, is there like the reason why they're there is to, um, to ask the Lord to be, be merciful. Let me, let me give you one thing that I read from a commentary, which I thought was interesting that in, in verse nine, where we get this note that it's the fifth year of Jehoiakim, the ninth month, as you referenced, which Mm -hmm. is likely December. So it's been some time after that initial command from the Lord. I I read in a a commentary, uh, one commentator identifies this fifth year, the ninth month as December of 604 BC. Which, which he also notes is the same time that Babylon comes and sacks the Philistine city of Ashkelon. Okay. And so this is this is right. This is also just another possibility as to why this fast day could have been declared. Right, is that the people recognize Babylon's knocking at the door? We're next in line. Almost a a last ditch sort of effort to maybe the Lord will prevent this if we come back now. That's another possibility that I read. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that's very possible. Um, you know, what, whatever it is, right. They're, they're com- the, the reason why they're there is in, in mourning, right. In, in 
uh, in some some sort of repentance, even if it's you know, if it's a case like that, we might look at that and be like, you know, that that may just be a false repentance at that point. Right. That they're they're only there to kind of save their own skin. They're not they're not afraid of the wrath of God. They're afraid of the wrath of the Babylonians. Right. Um, So, uh, you know, this is uh, St. Paul will talk about repentance that does not lead to life. And so there, there is a way to be, you know, wrongly repentant, right? Sure. Re- repentant for the wrong reasons. And so that, that could be there as well. But, um, but whatever it is, there's going to be, to your point, what you said, there's going to be a lot of people there. You, you want as many people there as possible. Um, and this is something that, you know, pastors have understood for quite a while. You know, Luther understands this, this is why he um, puts things on the, Wittenberg doors at various times is why the 95 theses are nailed there on October 31st, because the next day is All Saints Day, and that's a high feast of the church. And so you're going to get a ton of people coming in, lots of lots of eyes on on this document. So um, th- this is not an uncommon thing either, right? You If you want the thing to be heard, you're going to go to where the people are gathered in large numbers. Right. Right. I mean, it, it reminded me a little bit of the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two, mm-hmm. how the Lord provides for that opening Pentecost sermon by Peter to be heard by all those people who've gathered there in Jerusalem from all over the place. Similarly here, Jeremiah provides for his scroll to be heard by all these people. And and even if it is you know, a last ditch type effort where we we start to wonder, are you really repentant or are you, you know, what what that distinction you brought up from St. Paul? Still, both the Lord and Jeremiah shares this, that this is the Lord calling out to his people at that 11th hour, come into the vineyard, repent now. It's it's not too late. I mean, it's that it, Jeremiah has in many places seemed rather hopeless in the way that he expects the people to respond. And yet even here with Babylon about to be knocking at their door, one of many times before the, the nation actually collapses, even now, Jeremiah still follows the command of the Lord to preach this, to write this word of repentance in hopes that the people actually will. Right. Well, and this is the the, the great and beautiful thing about how the Lord deals with us, right? Is even as we, uh, let's say you, you go to church with the wrong motivation, right? But there's the Lord's word at the church. And th- that word of God is actually going to bring you to a, a right understanding of the faith and a right repentance. So even though maybe the reason why you're there was wrong in the first place, the reason uh, why you come back is not, right? That the Lord has actually worked um, worked a right repentance in you. And so he'll He'll use our 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 wrong motivations in order to, to create uh, good and clean hearts, right? Right. So we've got just a couple of minutes here before the break, Pastor Kilgo. Baruch does this. He does the reading of the scroll, again, in that fifth year of Jehoiakim, the ninth month. It is it is the winter time, which comes into play later in the text. And, and before we go to the break, let's just pick up a little bit of the details that we get. Jeremiah, or the scroll of Jeremiah, is read by Baruch. It says, in the chamber of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, the secretary. Now, we're going to encounter a lot of Hebrew names, and we're going to do our best to pronounce them later. Some of them we're not, we don't know as much about, but here we do know a little bit that it is important. Why is it significant that we're we're in the chamber of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, the secretary? So Shaphan is one of these guys that shows up a few times in Jeremiah, and he seems to be, and his family in particular— uh, very faithful, um, that, you know, these are guys that came up alongside, um, Josiah, who is the, the godly king. And so they would have been raised in, in this sort of way. 
and there's they're still hanging around right and uh one of the sons of Shaphan is responsible for preserving Jeremiah from death uh when he, which in in chapter 26 is when it happens and I think this is probably the referent when he says that I I can't go to the temple um because he's been you know he's been banned and kicked out it's probably at that moment that it happens um but it's the uh um, the family of Shaphan that preserves him from death because there's another prophet right before him that's also speaking there um, who gets brought to the king and the, the king relieves him of his head, right? So uh, uh, Shaphan is, is very important and, and it's this great example of how the Lord uses a whole variety of people in order to um, preserve what he wants to give, right? That mm-hmm. there's always... You know, there's always this remnant hanging around, and and a lot of times it comes from very unlikely places. Um, there's here's this guy sitting in the, um, uh, as part of the, um, the, the ruling order essentially, the the, the government uh, under this ungodly king. And you would think that you know all of the all these people are going to be ungodly at this point, and yet there's this there's this little remnant of of faithful, um, of, of faithful people, and they they make sure that this ends up getting in front of the king as it's intended, right? Right, right. Well, and then, and Shaphan, too. His, Shaphan was responsible for reading the book of the law to King Josiah in Second right. Kings chapter 22. And so there's a, I think this reference invites a bit of comparison and contrast, ultimately, between those two events. We remember how Josiah responded faithfully to the reading of God's word from a scroll, how is King Jehoiakim, his son, going to respond? Well, we'll see. It's not so faithfully. What you said, just very briefly, I mean, about Shaphan and his family, because he's got another son, as you said, back in chapter 26, who spares Jeremiah's life. And I think you're probably right about the banning of Jeremiah at that moment, because that's the beginning of King Jehoiakim's reign. But it just, it struck me that, you know, Shaphan, as a, a faithful man in his day, gave his gave the word of god to his children who then in the midst of this the rest of this crooked generation they prove themselves to be faithful and and i i mean it just and this is maybe just a brief aside but i I, it reminds me of the great importance of fathers being faithful still today and passing the word of god to their children you may be raising your children in in the midst of a wicked and crooked generation but but don't don't lose heart you know it's not in vain look at i mean the example of shafin i think is a fantastic reminder for our day and age right but yeah and, and sometimes that the um being in a a wicked generation actually provides the impetus we need to raise our children rightly you know it, it's it's a lot easier to be lazy in, in raising our children in the faith when the world around you looks okay but you know when things are ungodly all over the place and you know here you've got the threat of babylon uh coming at you you're like i, I need to make sure that my children understand the truth of these things. Yeah. And, and Shaphan apparently did, did a good job of giving his children the word of God, the word of God that Jeremiah has written down here in Jeremiah chapter 36. We're going to pick up more of that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO, talking with Pastor Sean Kilgo today. We'll take that short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around.
Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233. 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, July 19th. We're studying Jeremiah chapter 36, verses 1 to 32 with Pastor Sean Kilgo. He serves at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. Pastor Kilgo, prior to the break, we read the first 10 verses of the chapter. We pick up again now at verse 11. When Micaiah, the son of Gemariah, son of Shaphan, heard all the words of the Lord from the scroll, he went down to the king's house, into the secretary's chamber, and all the officials were sitting there, Elashema, the secretary, Deliah, the son of Shemaliah, Elnatan, the son of Achbor, Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, Zedekiah, the son of Hananiah, and all the officials. And Micaiah told them all the words that he had heard, when Baruch read the scroll in the hearing of the people. Then all the officials sent Yehudi, the son of Nethaniah, son of Shalamiah, son of Cushi, to say to Baruch, Take in your hand the scroll that you read in the hearing of the people and come. So Baruch, the son of Neriah, took the scroll in his hand and came to them. And they said to him, Sit down and read it. So Baruch read it to them. When they heard all the words, they turned one to another in fear. And they said to Baruch, we must report all these words to the king. Then they asked Baruch, Tell us, please, how did you write all these words? Was it at his dictation? Baruch answered them, He dictated all these words to me while I wrote them with ink on the scroll. Then the officials said to Baruch, Go and hide, you and Jeremiah, and let no one know where you are. That was through verse 19. We'll pause there. So, Pastor Kilgo, we get more of the, the process here. Again, it's been read there in the chamber of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan. Now, one of Gemariah's sons, Micaiah, says, I need to go and let the officials know. We get several names here. I did the best that we could in pronoun- pronouncing those names. Is there anything within those people that are mentioned here that that we should notice? Um. Not, not that I saw. I mean, one of the big things is that this is something the Lord does a lot is that he will set things into a historical context um, to show us like, you know, these are not just fairy tales that we're making up. This is something that actually happens in history, right? So you have, this is why the genealogies are actually very important because it allows you to trace the stuff. So like you could actually go and find out like, did these guys exist and were they all around at the same time and are the genealogies accurate and you can kind of line all this stuff up and it turns out that they are like when you go and you check these genealogies out and you we can you know find historical records of these guys that it it matches up with the uh biblical narratives um and so it it is a way that the lord has allowed us to verify the accuracy of what he's written uh which is important for us right because one of the temptations is to always believe that there's something wrong with these words, or maybe they're unreliable, or maybe they didn't get recorded correctly, or whatever it might be. And you know, when you get stuff like this, you can say, no, no, that it's true. Here's here's the evidence of that, right? Um, if they're just making this stuff up, you wouldn't have this sort of detail in there. Um, so yeah, the the names 
it, at least in my mind, give us particularly the the certainty of the the historical reality of these things. Sure, these these names are an indicator that it's not made up. Right. Jeremiah wasn't making this up when he dictated it to Baruch. Baruch wasn't making it up when he wrote it down. These are real people that even if we don't know precisely who they were or they don't show up elsewhere, these are real people whom who the Lord interacts with in the account that we've got here in Jeremiah chapter 36. I mean, and it is, you know, again, some of them, it, it, they do seem to be rather important because they are officials in the king's court. And even the one Yehudi in verse 14, you know, you get that he's the son of three times for him, which would indicate that he must be someone pretty important. Now, all of this is ultimately to get the message that Baruch has read in the Lord's house now needs to be read in the king's house. It, it's got to go from the Lord's house to the king's house. And and just thinking about that as I was reflecting on this text, it, on the one hand, I find it slightly telling that no one, none of these officials were apparently in the Lord's house for the day of fast. That mm-hmm. they're all kind of sitting there in the in the king's house and the word has to be brought to them that this is happening. Yet at the same time, we do find out that when they finally get to hear this word from the Lord, they react with fear. So what do you, I mean, what do you think's going on in their reaction here? Well, it's the right reaction, right? God, God's saying, Hey, um, I'm going to do all of these things to you guys. And they're like, Oh, that's not good. Right. And, and they're afraid. Right. And that's, that's the, the proper reaction to that. We, that we should be afraid of the Lord's wrath. Um, alongside that, um, and it, and it seems like this is there, even though it's not said, um, there, there is a, a faith that comes along with this, right? Uh, a proper fear of the Lord also produces a proper trust in the Lord. And so, um, you know, they, the, the fear of the Lord turns our eyes to, to God in, in this way that he is the one who's threatened this punishment. And so he's the only one that can relieve that punishment. He's the one that's bringing it. Like nobody's going to stop that, stop the Lord from doing it except himself. And so, uh, your only recourse is to go to the Lord and say, you know, have mercy on me. Um, and, and that's what the Lord desires, right? As we had at the beginning, you know, that, that he would relent of this and that he would forgive them their, their sins and their iniquities. And so it seems like this is probably going on there because of what happens, right? They're like, Hey, the King really needs to hear this too, because like, th- this seems like something we need to do something with. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and it's interesting that, that this whole group in, in this paragraph uh, seems to be repentant at, at some level in this. And what's going to happen is that when you get, it's almost like there's this inner court of the king that's not here either, right? Um, it's like another step to get to them, which to your point, I think is uh, kind of indicative of where where the, the king and, and, and his inner court are at um, uh, spiritually, because there there's this day of fasting that's that's been declared and the, the king's nowhere in sight, right? right? And when you see the godly kings, one of the signs of the godly kings is they're like the first ones that are rending their garments and throwing on ash and, you know, sitting in repentance, right? And they, they are serving as the example for the people. And here, you know, he's, he's sitting there uh, nice and warm in front of his fire pot, right? Uh, warming right. his feet. So... Right. Well, I mean, even the even the king of Nineveh in the book of Jonah, mm-hmm. he's the one that leads the fast and the repentance there. And here you have King Jehoiakim. Apparently, you know, you have to go through two groups before you actually get to him. 
and when it comes to this day of fast, he's fasting, he's nowhere to be seen. It it does seem that this outer group of his officials reacts, at least they're not completely hardened in their heart because they, they have this fear. They, they want to make sure that these words do come from Jeremiah. And then there's this matter about go hide yourself. You know, there's, there's a, at least some concern as to how the king's going to react, which as we will see is, is well-founded. Right. I, I think they know how the king's going to react to this because they've seen it uh, years before with Jeremiah and the other prophets uh, that were there in the, in the temple. And uh, he already killed one prophet there and he banned Jeremiah because he couldn't get his hands on him. Um, and so they're like, you know, not only does Jeremiah need to be protected, but now we got to protect Baruch because now he's he's in this as well. So he's like, just go, you know, go hide. We'll we'll take the scroll to them and and deliver this. Right. All right. So, yeah, let's let's see how this how this plays out. We're picking up again in verse 20 now. So they went into the court to the king, having put the scroll in the chamber of Elisha, the secretary, and they reported all the words to the king. Then the king sent Jehudi to get the scroll, and he took it from the chamber of Elisha the secretary. And Jehudi read it to the king and all the officials who stood beside the king. It was the ninth month, and the king was sitting in the winter house. Then there was a fire burning in the fire pot before him. As Jehudi read three or four columns, the king would cut them off with a knife and throw them into the fire in the fire pot, until the entire scroll was consumed in the fire that was in the fire pot. Yet neither the king nor any of his servants who heard all these words was afraid, nor did they tear their garments. Even when Elnatan and Deliah and Gamariah urged the king not to burn the scroll, he would not listen to them. And the king commanded Jerahamiel, the king's son, and Sariah, the son of Azriel, and Shalamiah, the son of Abdiel, to seize Baruch, the secretary, and Jeremiah, the prophet. But the Lord hid them. And that was verse through verse 26 of the text. So here we actually get to see how the king responds. And this is where the great contrast with Jehoiakim's faithful father comes into play. Right. Jeho- Jos- Josiah heard the book of the law and immediately repented. Jehoiakim hears the book of the law, the scroll from Jeremiah, and he burns it. Right. So, and, and I mean, this is, this is amazing. So, so it's like, this is what's going on. Like, he he's so hardened to this word that not only will he not repent and, he, and the people around him doesn't repent, but it's like he's saying, I'm going to make sure nobody else can hear this. Yeah. Right. And he, and he just burns the thing. And so as, as and it's as he's reading, it. it's not even like he lets him finish reading it. Like he reads a few lines and he and he cuts it off and then throws it in the in the fire pit. And there and there just feels like kind of a, a nonchalance to this whole thing. Like it's just no big deal uh, to do this. Um, you can kind of hear the. The, the pleading of the of the other guys that are there that brought the scroll to him. And they're like, you know, King, please, please don't do this. Please don't do this. Please hear these words and, and, and consider them. And it just rip fire. Um, and what's interesting is, is it says um, that he cuts it off uh, with the pen knife. Um, uh, that is, the, so the, the, the word in here is, is the, the, the knife that's used um, uh, for a, um, for the sharpening of the pen. Uh, that's used to actually write things down. And so that, you know, one of the instruments that was used by Baruch in order to actually put this on paper um, is the instrument that's used to to slice up the the scroll and put it away. So, I mean, there's kind of an insult to injury going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, I don't know if, 
he's just got a pen knife laying around and that's what he's using. But it, it just seems odd to me that he's using a pen knife and not just like a, um, just a regular like uh, sidearm knife sort of thing. Sure, sure. Well, and I think, I mean, you know, that that perhaps would, would remind us that to just get rid of the Word of God, or an, an attempt to get rid of the Word of God, isn't to live without some sort of guiding word, but it is to actually have a different word in mind. You know, Jehoiakim thinks, oh, I'm just going to get rid of this text, then I don't have to deal with any text, but he is living by a different text. It may not be written down, but right. but he, in an attempt to rid himself of the Word of God, is in fact, I mean, he's he's being his own God. He's writing his own scriptures, if, if we can say it that way. And I mean, you just see, as you said, the great hardness of heart that has to already exist in this king, that that he would hear these words. And I mean, and almost you imagine it, he, he hears a column or two read, nope, don't like that, cut it off into the fire. Yeah, I mean, and just over and over again, he just repeatedly rejects, rejects, rejects. It's that that very, uh, that element that he doesn't just take the whole scroll, crumple it up, throw it in the fire, shows you just how hard his heart really is in a very dramatic way. Right. And and we, we mentioned this at the beginning, but it's good to bring up again here, like how long this would have proceeded for, right? You've got 20 plus years of prophecy going on and every few columns he's, he's cutting this off. Um, I mean, that... It, it is hard to imagine just how um, how wicked his heart is um, to and how closed off it is to, to hearing God's word to, to have this happen. But one of the things I think that's good for us to remember in this is, you know, anytime we see these guys in the scriptures, it's, it's always good to be a little bit introspective and and say, you know, it do I have a semblance of this in, in me as well, right? Um, have I also hardened my heart to the scriptures and, and to realize that, that all of us have, and that we, we, we need to repent of that, but that anytime we are despising the scriptures that we're hardening our heart to hear what the Lord is saying in there, especially when he speaks hard words to us, um, or words that might go against, you know, our ideas of how God should operate or, or whatever it might be, uh, that, that we're doing exactly what Jehoiakim is, is doing. We may not be literally, tearing out the pages of our Bible and throwing them in a fire, but we are burning them in our hearts and minds. And the problem with that is that uh, not only do we not any longer have these words to um, to convict us of our sin and to guide us in our lives, but then we also don't have uh, the promises of Christ and his mercy and his comfort there as well, right? If, if you go and you burn all of Jeremiah, not only are you burning all the, uh, the words of uh, prophecy and rebuke, but you're also burning all the words of comfort, you know, that, that little, little section in, starting at 30 that we call the book of comfort, you burn all that too. Right. And, and that's the thing that we need to remember with this, that, um, you, you don't have one without the other. You don't have the comfort of the Lord without his, his rebuke. Right. And I think that's, that's a, a, a point worth pondering just a moment that, you know, imagine, imagine Jehoiakim had heard part of it that he liked and said, don't burn that. I'd like to keep that, which I, I think is maybe a, a way that, that we would try in our day and age to to keep God's word at length. You know, we would take a, a knife to parts of it. I don't want that. I'm going to burn that. But I am going to keep this part. Ultimately, that doesn't work either. And I, that's a, I, I think that's a helpful point that you're making. When you start to cut off parts of the word of God, thinking that you can keep the other ones, you're going to end up losing the parts that you think you want to. 
Right. Yeah. When, when you, when you don't have the whole thing, you you've lost all of it, right? Because ultimately what you've done in your mind is you've said that you can be the arbiter of what God says, right? And when that is kind of the fundamental thing sitting in your mind, it, you, you can't, you can't hear in any sort of deep and profound level, um, any, anything that's actually going to cut you to the heart and implant itself in your mind, uh, anything that the Lord will say, because you're the one that gets to decide um, in the back of your mind whether or not this this applies or not. And it's, it's interesting. You see this with Jefferson, right? He, he you know, famously uh, cuts, cuts parts out of the Bible and you have the Jefferson Bible that's got all these pieces missing out of it, right? And what he ended up with was a different God in the end, right? And this is what's, what's going on, as, as you said, with, um, with Jehoiakim is that he, he has a different God that he's worshiping, and, and that's why he won't hear these words. Yeah, yeah. And ultimately, I mean, I suppose he's honest, and he gets rid of the whole thing. He doesn't right. try to keep the parts that he, quote, likes. He simply gets rid of everything, thinking that that somehow this will help, some somehow be good. I, I, did, I do find it slightly ironic that fire becomes the instrument by which Jehoiakim attempts to destroy the word of God. And Jeremiah has said earlier in this book that the word of the Lord burned like a fire within him. You see a contrast between the way Jeremiah treats the word of God. You know, he he didn't want to preach it, he said. He, he tried to hold it in, but it was so strong that he he simply had to. Jehoiakim, on the other hand, just carelessly throws the word of God into the fire to in an attempt to destroy it. Right. And, and as we'll see, it's a futile attempt. That's right. right. That's right. Yeah. So let's let's see how this this text concludes. We're in verse verse 27 now. Now, after the king had burned the scroll with the words that Baruch wrote at Jeremiah's dictation, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Take another scroll and write on it all the former words that were in the first scroll, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, has burned. And concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, you shall say, Thus says the Lord, you have burned this scroll, saying, why have you written in it that the king of Babylon will certainly come and destroy this land and will cut off from it man and beast? Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, he shall have none to sit on the throne of David and his dead body shall be cast out to the heat by day and the frost by night. And I will punish him and his offspring and his servants for their iniquity. I will bring upon them and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem and upon the people of Judah all the disaster that I have pronounced against them but they would not hear. Then Jeremiah took another scroll and gave it to Baruch the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote on it at the dictation of Jeremiah all the words of the scroll that Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire, and many similar words were added to them. That was through the end of Jeremiah chapter 36. So as you said, Pastor Kilgo, perhaps the, the most important thing that we can see in this is that despite the attempts of wicked king Jehoiakim, the word of the Lord endures forever. Right. I mean, he he tries to to get rid of this. And I mean, what's interesting about this is it it's like the king thinks that um because he goes to try and and at, at the end of the previous section he goes to try and seize Baruch. He had previously tries to tried to seize um Jeremiah. And it, and it's like he thinks that if he can get rid of these guys, if he can burn the scroll, then you know, he'll be free and clear and it's like what he doesn't realize is that his enemy is not the messengers and the message. His enemy is God, right? And and you can't get rid of God. And try as you might, like you can try and ignore him, whatever, but you can't get rid of him. And he's going to keep sending his messengers. He's going to keep sending his word. 
uh, to those who will hear it, even if you won't, you, you, you cannot get rid of it. Um, as you said, you know, that, um, the, the, the great quote from, from St. Peter, that, that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is, um, for those that don't know, this is actually the motto of the Reformation. So some people ask sometimes what, what's the motto of the Reformation? Well, it's verbum domini manet et eternum. Um, and if you look in like a book of Concord, one of the reader's editions has actually got this in one of the front pages. It's this cross with a VDMA on it. So if you ever see that's what it is. And, and this was the, the, the motto of the Reformation for, for good reason, because this is what the Reformation was doing is it, it was saying, look, the, the Lord's word is, is always going to be here. And that's what we need to, to fall back on, uh, whether it's saying what we like or not, right? We, we don't get to choose that. We don't get to be like, um, King Jehoiakim and, and just try and get rid of this stuff, right? It, it's going to stay here. We are the ones that are going to perish, right? Mm. And, um, and that's what, what Jehoiakim just seemingly does not understand. And so the Lord says, okay, well, we're going to write this down again, take two, and we're going to add more stuff to it now, right? And one of the things that he adds to it is this, uh, this condemnation of Jehoiakim himself. He says, you know, you're, you're not going to have anybody, um, the, the, your line ends now, right? Um, it, you're not going to have a uh, progeny sitting on the throne for generations, which I mean, he undoubtedly would have wanted. Right. Sure. Um, and not only that, but you're going to be, uh, cast out into the, um, you, you're, you're, you're not going to be buried, right. You're going to die and they're just going to throw your body out. Right. Um, which is, this is not the way you want your death to be spoken of in the scriptures. Right. It, um, if you look at how how the Lord speaks of people dying, that this is just a, a pretty bad rebuke of somebody for, for it to be said like this. Right. Mm -hmm. And then he, and then he says, look, I'm, I'm going to bring all this. I, I promised this disaster. Uh, y'all wouldn't repent. And so here you go. Um, I, I don't break my promises. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I mean, just to, not to, to wander too far into the next chapter, but it is telling that despite the fact that it's not, sequential you you skip forward into the reign of zedekiah in jeremiah chapter 37 but the jeremiah is quick to note there in, the, in that verse that zedekiah is reigning instead of Coniah the son of jehoiakim right and, and i mean you know so what jeremiah has told in the word of the lord here is brought to pass in the very next chapter as it's recorded the lord does keep his promise of judgment so poor Baruch, he has to write it again. He doesn't complain, at least that we're told. I do think it's 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 important to see that the Lord provides for his word to be written down again a second time. I and mean, as we said earlier, the Lord preserves the preaching of his word, both orally and in its written form, that, that he does provide for this word to be written down again. Again, so Daniel and others can have it later. So you and I can read it still today so that we too would be brought to repentance and faith. Pastor Kilgore, we've got about three minutes left on the morning. Final thoughts on on this section and the text as a whole, and and particularly, how does how does a text like this, Jeremiah thirty six, point us to Christ, our Savior? Well, I, I think kind of the, the the summary of this whole thing is like we've been talking about that that the Lord is going to ensure always that His Word gets to us, whatever that takes. The Lord understands that um, this is the most important thing. We see this like in the parable of the the sower and the seed. Where, where he says that the reason why that the bird who is the devil comes to steal the word is or, in order that we may not believe and be saved. 
And at the end of John's gospel, he says, these things are written that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and believing have life in his name, right? So the Lord gives us his, his word, all of it, in order to bring us uh, to repentance and to life. And so th- this is what he's going to do. And we, we see this with Jeremiah and King Jehoiakim, even though Jeremiah is banned from the temple, even though they threaten to kill him and they threaten to kill Baruch, um, even though they've burned the scroll and the fire pot, and nevertheless, the Lord causes his word to be written down again in order that, as was stated at the beginning, uh, people would turn from their evil ways and he would forgive their iniquity and their sin. That's, that's always why it's being written down. And so we have before us, as we mentioned, 2,600 years later, these words written down for us, um, as well as all sorts of other words in the scriptures in order to bring us to repentance and faith that the Lord would give us through his word, forgiveness and eternal life and everlasting salvation. And there's where Jesus is, right? That, that these words are giving to us Jesus, right? Now, now this is a, a description of how that word is coming to us, right? But in that, you, you still have Jesus as the author of these things, that he's there making sure that it's coming to us so that we would have him through his word. Pastor Sean Kilgo is the pastor at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas, helping us this morning with Jeremiah chapter 36, verses 1 to 32. Pastor Kilgo, thanks for being our guest today. Yeah, it's great to be back. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Jeremiah or comments on the series, please get in touch with us. You can send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org, or you can use the KFUO app. The open mic feature there allows you to send up to a 60-second message to us. We love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.